How is it that we are able to run to and not from the God of the universe? Colossians 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Heavenly Father, this and only this, your work, the person and work of Jesus Christ, is how we can run into your arms and not away from your judgment. Father, thank you for our time here today. Thank you that you are good and may our lips sing no other name but the name of Jesus. And it is his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. It's happened in first service too. I don't know who brought this up, but thank you to whoever whoever did that. Well, good morning, Trinity. My name is David. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here today. When we were, um, when Pastor Kirk came up with the idea for the three-week politics series, he met with Pastor Matt, and then he met with me. He meets with us separate, so we can't kind of team up and form a majority and overrule him. And so I said, wow, series on politics. This is intense, especially in this season, right, of course. I said, this is crazy because when we started here, like back in February and March, we were just finishing the series on uh, sexuality. And like one of our first Sundays here after being introduced to everybody was that Q&A panel. That was pretty intense. And like a week later, everybody disappeared because COVID hit. And during COVID, we had a whole racial inequality thing mushroom clouded again. And now we're jumping into a series on politics. I said, we're, we're covering all of it. And he starts laughing and he said, well, after that and in, before we get to Advent, I'm thinking about doing the seven letters to the church in Revelation. I was like, oh, all right, like that's it. Like 2021 is going to feel like a vacation <laughs> after that. Now, we're not going to do the seven letters. We will be in Nehemiah starting next week until Advent. I'm super serious about, I'm super excited about that series. But we are this week finishing up our three-week uh, series on politics. Yay! But not necessarily politics in terms of telling you what to think, but politics in terms of uh, diving into Scripture and learning how to think biblically. In our first week, Pastor Kirk laid out the case for why politics matter to a Christian. And he challenged us, if you remember, to infuse our political passion with neighborly love. And last week, he taught on the intersection between our faith and politics, rightly concluding that we can and should partner with a political party that best aligns with our biblical values, but no partisan divide should ever drive a wedge between God's people. Which brings us to today. Today, I would like to finish our series by moving from our minds to our mouths, 
from how we are to think biblically about politics to how we are to engage biblically with people. Now, to be clear, the last two sermons were anything but just thought exercises. There was plenty of practical application in there. And I hope, my hope today is that this sermon adds to that and gives our hearts a recalibration if need be. Today's sermon is the collision of my own personal experiences in God's Word. Numerous times I've contended for the faith in the political arena, and I've been dead right from a biblical perspective on the issue, yet dead wrong in how I handled the conversation. And that person left knowing my stance, but not my Savior. I've also been the recipient of the you-can't-be-a-Christian-and-vote-for-that-person comment. I'm not the feelings guy in the room, trust me on that one, but that one hurt deep. It was so divisive in so many ways and displayed a complete unwillingness to seek common ground. And instead of opening up the conversation, it completely shut it down and I just disengaged. When it comes to politics, it's just so easy to either retreat from cultural engagement or try to overpower it, and both are unbiblical. Now, I usually don't title my sermons, but if I did, this would be titled, Communicate for a Change. But before you nudge your significant other, this may not go where you think it's going to go. But before we go anywhere, would you go with me to our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I, I begged you for your presence during first service, and if I needed it then, I need it even more now. Uh, these can't be, can't be just my words. I, I don't believe they are. These need to be your words for your people, for our benefit and your glory. So Father, would you anoint our time here today? Would you fill the room with your Holy Spirit. Fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit, Father. Convict us. Convict us through your word today on not just what we are to do, but who we are to be. And may it all be for your glory, for the expansion of your kingdom, powered by your Holy Spirit, to the glory and honor of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Question. If you or I had to stand trial today, accused of being a Christian, and the only evidence the prosecution could use were our interactions with others over the last six months, would there be enough evidence in what we've said and how we've said it to convict us guilty? If you or I had to stand trial today, accused of being a Christian, would we be convicted guilty based only on what we've said and how we've said it? Or would we be found innocent? No, no, that David character, no, he talks just like everybody else. He sounds just like everybody else, full of self-promotion, full of pride, tearing down others, condescending hostile. See, in politics and in our culture today with so many of these issues, it's might makes right, loud and proud, winner take all. It seems like the politicians and the media 
have their black belts in burning bridges and cutting one another down. And in the name of unifying the nation, they seem to demonize so much of it. But let's not be so quick to point the finger because we can so often be just like Peter in the garden at Jesus' betrayal, cutting the ears off people in defense of the king of the universe. But no, we need to be in the business of putting ears back on people with words of hope and of love and compassion. Jesus doesn't want or need us to defend him. He wants us to declare him in our homes, in our workplaces, in our conversations, in our politics, everywhere we go and everything we say. See, the best a political message can, can do is to get you to change your mind. But as Christians, we are not just concerned with the next four years. We are concerned with eternity. And so we cannot just communicate for a change of minds. We must communicate for a change of hearts. And so come with me to 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to spend most of our time there in verses 11 through 21 before we jump backwards in the Bible to 1 Corinthians 13. And I want us to see what the Apostle Paul has to say about our cultural engagement. And like any good preacher, I've made my three points start all with the same letter. We are going to look at our mission, our ministry, and our motivation. Now, this section of Scripture begins with the word therefore, so let me tell you what that is there for. In the immediate preceding verses, Paul laid out that we, as Christians, we do not put our trust in the things of this world, since we know that all of it will pass away, even our bodies, but we have an eternal heavenly dwelling. So we live our lives by faith and not by sight, and whether we are here on earth or in heaven with God, our aim is to please Christ. Therefore, verse 11, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we, are, what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you 
on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I could do a lot worse than just close and pray right there, right? That's one of those passages that just, just let that thing rip. Point number one, let's look at our mission. What is Paul telling us about our mission? Verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. God makes his appeal through us. Now, we are very familiar with a political ambassador. This is somebody that is called to live outside of their homeland and represent their leader there. And Paul uses this status in this imagery, and applies it to our Christian mission here on earth. Last week, Pastor Kirk reminded us from Jesus' prayer captured in John 17 that we are to be in the world but not of the world. In it but not of it. Which implies that no one is here on accident. God puts you here so that you would find him and that others would find him through you. And God's plan A to save humanity, of which there is no plan B, is through his ambassadors, through you and through me. Is there any higher calling than saving humanity? Not that we do the saving, but we are called to do the speaking for the one who does the saving. Now, I didn't struggle at all this week with the concept that our time here is ordained and orchestrated by God. Each one of us is at home in heaven. That's home. This is not our home. Fine, got it. But that is only half of the role of an ambassador and probably the easier half. Anyone can live somewhere else. But our role as ambassadors isn't just to live somewhere else. It's to represent the king while we are here. His will, not ours. His agenda, not ours. His words, not ours. His methods, not ours. Does anyone know the word we use, what we call an ambassador who defects and starts to do things on his or her own? Traitor. Does anybody know the penalty for being a traitor? Death. Now, if that was God's penalty, I can assure you I would not be standing here. That much I can tell you. But let's not use God's grace to water down the importance of our mission. God makes his appeal, his plea to mankind through us. I often wonder after an interaction with a Christian, what would an unbeliever conclude about the character of God? What does the Bible tell us about Jesus' interactions with sinners? Every single one of them, every single sinner that Jesus interacted with walked away knowing two things. I have to follow him and God loves me. That's what I want. That's what we're called to. That's what we need to communicate. 
But so many times I get in the way of Jesus. But here is a biblical truth. Our effectiveness as his ambassadors increases in the exact proportion that our self-interest diminishes. Our effectiveness as his ambassadors increases in the exact proportion that our self-interest diminishes. Jesus must increase. We must decrease. If we want to engage and communicate for a change of heart, we must heed our, our mission as ambassadors of Christ. We have not been given the option to sit on the sidelines, nor have we been given the autonomy to push our own agenda. Okay, we're his ambassadors, got it. That is our mission here on earth. Now let's see how this marries straight to the Great Commission because of our ministry. Point number two, our ministry. And man, this one cuts deep. Look at verses 18 and 19. Paul writes this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Paul, talking about the new life that we have in Christ, all of it, all of it is from God, and God did it through Christ. He reconciled you and me to him through Christ, and he gives to us this ministry of reconciliation. Our mission is to be ambassadors to the king, and our ministry is one of reconciliation. And if you do not yet feel the weight of this ministry, let me help. The longest standing feud is not between blue and red. It is not between Democrat and Republican. It is not between North and South. It is not between man and woman. The longest standing battle in the history of the universe is man versus God. And when there was no way God made a way for us to be reconciled to him, we didn't do it, he did it. And he calls each one of us to be his missionaries, to do his ministry, calling man back into relationship with himself through Jesus Christ. Think about this. As far as we know, the most recent gospel declaration by an angel came at the birth of Jesus Christ. And how did the angel announce his birth? By declaring how sinful the shepherds were? No, but by declaring how great Jesus is. Fear not, the angel said, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the declaration so great, the heavens open and a multitude of angels burst out in glorious praise. And then it was John the Baptist. And then Jesus himself. And then the apostles and then you, and me. We weren't put on this earth during this time because God needs us to win arguments. We were not here to win debates. We are here to win souls. 
there should be no one more qualified than a blood-washed, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone Christian to carry out the, the ministry of reconciliation, not even angels. Our nation is flooded with confusion and anger and bitterness and division, but this is the exact darkness where the ministry of reconciliation shines brightest. And this ministry is one of reconciliation, restoration, and peace. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever your heart is full of, that's what your mouth is going to say. And if our hearts were reconciled to God through Christ, they should overflow with words of peace and tenderness and compassion and love. In Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, he tells them how, in a way, you can judge if a person is a Christian. How can you convict somebody of being a Christian? Paul says, well, the fruit of the Spirit, what manifests out of a person who is a Christian with the Spirit of God living in them is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, if you bite into a Christian, that is what you should taste. This world will take a bite out of every single one of us. The question is not, will we bite back? The question is, what will it taste? Politics is one of the few arenas where disagreeing with somebody's point of view seems to also validate dishonoring the person himself. But if we are ambassadors of Christ, and we are, every single interaction, political or otherwise, agree or disagree, should be overflowing with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Our ultimate goal should not be that people bend their whim to our chosen political party, but that they bend their knee to King Jesus. That is the work of an ambassador, commissioned with the ministry of reconciliation. Now you say, all well and good. Got it. I've got my political party. I'm clear that it lines up with my biblical worldview. I'm not in the world, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not of the world, but I'm in the world. And I'm out there in the marketplace as an ambassador with the ministry of reconciliation. So far, so good. Hold that thought. Point three, our motivation. Thus far, we've been looking at our mission and our ministry using Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth to shine a spotlight on our motivation, jump with me to Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. A letter he wrote to a body of believers facing serious division. A letter he wrote to a body of believers facing serious division. He writes, 
this in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I've had the opportunity and the privilege to officiate several weddings, and every time I do, I preach from this passage. If you've ever been to a wedding, I can guarantee you've heard it. It reads like a modern-day Hallmark card, which makes it one of the most well-known and least understood passages in all of the New Testament. To be quite honest, this passage is terrifying. And as we look at what our motivation for our, for our mission and our ministry should be, let's rescue this passage from familiarity and understand it in its proper context. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, which is how the pagans used to worship. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away everything I have, if I deliver my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Now tell me if this next part doesn't sound anti-culture. Not against it, just opposite. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but it rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And now skip with me to Paul's conclusion. Verse 13, now faith hope, and love abide. But the greatest of these three is love. If you speak in tongues, if you have prophetic powers, if you have all knowledge, if you have faith that can move mountains, if you write the biggest check in church, if you deliver your body up to the stake, if you lead your household, if you pray for others, if you lead a Bible study or a small group, if you pastor a church, if you proclaim the gospel, if you advocate for every single biblical truth, but you do not do it in love, you've done nothing and you are nothing. Those are not God, my words. Those are God's words. If you do all of those things, but you do not have love, it's not like you need to add in this little thing at the end, like you're just, you're just so close to being Jesus himself. You're like 95% of the way there. No, you're at zero. And if you think we are free to define the type of love that Paul speaks about here, you're wrong. The Greeks had four primary words for love. Paul could have used any one of these four words. Phileo, brotherly love. Eros, romantic love. Storge, the love of a family. Agape, unconditional love. The highest form of love. Sacrificial love. I will give you two guesses. You will only need one as to which word Paul uses every single time in that passage. Every single time Paul says the word love in that passage, he uses the word agape. Look at the last verse in the original language that Paul wrote in. Between faith, hope, and love, the greatest of all is agape. Unconditional, sacrificial love. 
And to drive this point further of the kind of love we are to have in our mission and in our ministry, let's look at the most well-known passage in all of Scripture, John 3.16. For God so loved, that's the verb tense of agape, for God so loved the world that he stopped. Debated with us until we changed our minds. Hammered us over the head with his law. Shamed us. Gave us a guilt trip. Denied us. Rejected us. No. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. He sacrificed his only son so that whoever believes in him would not be condemned, but instead would have eternal life. Brothers and sisters, the ultimate ambassador... The ultimate ministry of reconciliation, the ultimate motivation of love is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He was sent from heaven to a foreign broken land. He only spoke the words of the Father and did the will of the Father. And it could only be the highest form of love that would drive him to the cross, his cosmic ministry of reconciliation, so that sinners like you and a sinner like me could be reconciled to the Father. And three days later, he burst forth from the grave in glorious victory over death. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And he did not come to play games. He did not come to play favorites. He did not come to play politics. He came to turn our hearts back to God. And if we want to communicate for a change of hearts, we must communicate what changes hearts. And what changes hearts for 2,000 years is counting is none other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. With all due respect, and I mean that, Vice President Trump, or Vice President Biden does not need more Trump. He needs the gospel. And with all due respect, President Trump does not need more Biden. He needs the gospel. I need the gospel. This church needs the gospel. This nation needs the gospel. And we do not need to lean into the gospel. We need to fall all over it. And this is what Paul hangs our mission and our ministry and our motivation on. The gospel. That Jesus died for you and for me. Back to where we started. Look at verses 14 through 17. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised from now on Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Brothers and sisters, we cannot afford to miss this. Christianity is not behavior modification. It is not a state of doing. It is a state of being. If you are in Christ, you're not a better, more moral version of your old self. The old you is dead. You are made new in Christ. 
That is your identity. That is who you are. And you've been called by the king to be his ambassador with his ministry of reconciliation, motivated and controlled by his sacrificial love. In everything we do, in everything we say, may we be controlled by the love of Christ. Let us be unwilling to compromise, but unwilling to compromise our mission, our ministry, and our motivation. And no matter who you vote for on November 3rd to sit in that big leather chair in the Oval Office, may we live for and serve the one who sits on the throne of glory in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is clear. Your calling is clear. Your commission is clear. Father, we are to be in this world. We are to engage with this culture. We are your ambassadors. We are your plan A. You make our appeal, your appeal through us, God. Father, that is a humbling truth from your word. Father, so, so often it's just so easy to do so in our own strength. Our emotions run hot and we either disengage completely or we want to overpower. Father, you didn't, you didn't come to save with a sword, nor should we try to do that with our tongue or with our mouth. Father, would we go as ambassadors commissioned with your ministry of reconciliation, of restoration, of peace. Because that's not just something you did, that's who you are. You are a rescuer. And you call us to do your bidding. May we do so in all humility, in all graciousness, in all mercy, in all compassion, in all love. And may we do it for your glory and not ours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.